This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, y'all listening to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Dafran Johan. Last weekend, PKR held their annual National Party Congress. This was the second PKR Congress with Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim as the Prime Minister of Malaysia. Um, if you remember, the last Congress took place um, last year, just a couple of weeks after Anwar became the Prime Minister. So a running theme at this year's Congress was, of course, um, maintaining stability um, in the unity government, um, or the, the mixed uh, or the Madani government, translating good ideas and empathy into concrete policies and implementing reforms. So on today's episode, we are going to be unpacking all of that with Dr. O. Isan, Principal Advisor at the Pacific Research Center. Isan, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking this call all the way from Japan. Well, thank you very much for an opportunity to share some of my thoughts again. So let's start with the big one, the one that really made the headlines coming out of the weekend. Prime Minister Anwar Ibrahim mentioned um, that he's going to be taking or has been taking a more cautious and calculated approach to implementing reforms. Um, and he said the reason he doesn't want to rush everything is based on past experiences. So he cited the failings of Pakatan Harapan 1.0 under Mahade and even the French Revolution. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Well, of course, uh, we have a prime minister who is very erudite and therefore there was the reference to the French Revolution and mm -hmm. so on, whereby you know the, the those revolutionaries, after they took power, then they usher in a reign of terror, sending people up to guillotines to have their heads, uh, shall we say, disappear and so on. Uh, of course, we don't want that kind of uh, revolutionary reforms. Um, but uh, again, uh, there needs to be some sort of a roadmap uh, for reform, at least, so that uh, those ardent Anwar supporters, PKR supporters and PH supporters, they will at least have some inkling of uh, what is uh, coming and thereby they could be, shall we say, placated uh, a bit here. Yeah. What do you think the challenges Anwar Ibrahim faces in implementing reforms? And what do you think of his strategy of, you know, um, taking a more cautious calculated approach and uh, putting aside the French Revolution um, which I think is uh, interesting to ponder upon um, but let's look at the example other example he brought up of you know the failings of Pakatan Harpan 1.0 um, what do you think he you know what is his strategy here to avoid being a Pakatan Harpan 1.0 well, we don't quite know what is his uh, strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, at best, I think we could surmise that it, uh, as we say in Chinese, uh, you walk one step, you uh, sort of ponder upon your step before you take another, and then you you watch at your steps again. Right. So um, that's a rather cautionary approach, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think, uh, I mean, we sympathize with him in the sense that uh, he would have to balance uh, his uh, hopefully still ardent uh, yearnings for reforms for this country on the one hand versus uh, the reality, the demographic reality or electoral reality of the country on the other hand. Namely, there is actually an increasing 
number of uh, more conservative uh, voters uh, who might want some sort of reforms in the sense that they might also don't want to see corruption for the country and, and right. so on. But um, I think they 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 feel that uh, the way to address uh, this sort of let's say corruption problems and so on for the country is not quite through the more universally recognized progressive reforms, but through shall we say a more spiritual, a more religious pathways. And therein, I think lies uh, Anwar's very careful uh, balancing of the two uh, opposing. Uh, pooling or demands uh, in the country, yeah, right. So you brought up the you know the the rising sort of um conservative or Islamic um, um base in the country. Um, let's also talk about the the coalition partners. In what ways um can PKR balance and especially Anwar Ibrahim as the leader now uh, of Pakatan Harapan and leading this entire coalition. Uh, this, this sort of mixture of coalition as the prime minister of the country. In what ways can they balance their their yearning for reforms um, and the need, immediate, the important need for reforms with also the, the, the various expectations of coalition partners such as GPS, Barisan National, so on and so forth? Well, I think for a start, he could... Uh attempt to uh, first take care of his uh, household business, namely his own party, mm. namely to to balance uh, the various uh, demands and uh, let, let me be even be less humble and say power struggles uh, within his uh, own party. Right. Let us not forget Sheraton Move 1.0 was precipitated uh, precisely because of power struggles uh, within PKR. Of course, that and uh, the grumblings within Basatu, and that uh, brought about the downfall of a government. And now we again hear of uh, various uh, different voices in PKR. For example, there were those who felt that uh, certain communities uh, are sidelined uh, within PKR itself. And then, of course, there are also power struggles uh, purely due to political interests and so on. So first, I think he needs to take care of his uh, own party. Then he can talk about, uh, for example, balancing the needs for reform versus uh, some members of the ruling coalition who might be uh, resistant to the reforms and so on. And then there could be perhaps a more persuasive case for the rest of the country. In fact, it's exactly what you said that, uh, something like what you said that Nurul Iza also brought up during the Congress where she said the party needs to be vigilant, not just about enemies on the outside, but also um, possible enemies on the inside. Now, I I'm wondering, um, Isan, another thing that stood out to me about um, you know, Anwar's speeches is in, in also and with regards to this, this thing about implementing reform, is he mentioned something else, which is the implementation of Islam. And, and his quote was, if we rush, whether in the implementation of Islam or in the execution of our reform agenda, we will be rejected by the people. How do you interpret implementation of Islam um, coming from Anwar Ibrahim and, and Pakatan Harapan? Do you see um, a, a difference between um, what he is trying to accomplish, um, you know, with Islamic values and 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 whatnot, compared to let's say what Pass is trying to accomplish. Well, Anwar, of course, has a very solid and 
internationally recognized uh, religious credentials uh, dating to back in his uh, student leader's uh, days, right? Right. And he is way up there together with, uh, for example, the present uh, president of uh, Turkey and, and so on. So um, I think he is, in a sense, trying to uh, uh, sort of make a better use of that rather solid uh, foundation uh, to espouse a version of Islamic values uh, that could be, uh, I would say, embraced, but at least accepted by uh, non-Muslims in the country, uh, more progressive, uh, more reformist uh, views of how religious values should be implemented in the modern uh, world. That's that's why, of course, uh, he has this uh, Madani concept as his uh, sort of ruling uh, philosophy. Um, But um, so far, I think... uh, that Madani concept uh, is still very much uh, at the sloganeering uh, phase. Hopefully, it to come, it could come to more concrete uh, solutions and proposals. On the other hand, there are those in the country who would like to see perhaps a more fundamentalist uh, interpretation of the religion. Right. And uh, well, he has to again balance between the two because it would appear that uh, the latter would have uh, the demographic and electoral majority in the country. Do you think that this approach that Anwar has been taking over the past year um, and, you know, reflected in his speech, um, do you think this um, is a, a an approach that, that would risk um, waning support from his core base? Or do you think it's a good strategy? What is required in a highly polarized Malaysia? Well, uh, I think this approach could be also called the muddling through approach. Uh, mm. Namely, it, uh, you have an environment which is uh, rather difficult and you try to so-called muddle your way through uh, these difficult uh, pathways and so on. Um I, I think uh, among his supporters, uh, perhaps uh, there are at least uh, two camps. There are those who are, frankly speaking, non-Malays, who are, of course, eager for more progressive reforms such that this country is uh, unshackled by, uh, from its uh, self-imposed, um, shall we say, disadvantage, and thereby it could uh, develop the... Uh, much faster economically and and so on. So those uh, the those uh, cohort of uh, Anwar supporters, I think they are already quite uh, disappointed with Anwar, but they have no alternative choice. Right. They would not, for example, vote for uh, pass uh, and by extension Parikatan. So they are in a sense um, stuck with Anwar. Of course, there are those like Saik Sadiq and various other smaller parties who are trying to woo this group of uh, supporters. But so far, they have met with, uh, uh, shall we say, little success. Eh? On the other hand, I think there there is uh, another cohort of Anwar supporters, namely the urban uh, Malays or suburban uh, Malays. Eh? Um, for them, the... I think it's a more nuanced uh, phenomenon. 
because um, I think the, there is an increasing subgroup within this group who are also getting, uh, to put it mildly, rather conservative or religiously, uh, increasingly religiously minded. And therefore, uh, I think they don't mind actually supporting the, let's say, past and by extension, Parikatan National. So um, I think it is this second cohort of uh, voters which uh, Anwar will have to be careful about. And um, it's rather difficult to capture their hearts and mind. On the one hand, you see them getting increasingly conservative. And one the observation would be the rise of this so-called religiously themed uh, international schools uh, in, in the country. Right. International schools, by definition, uh, are not cheap. And uh, if it could tout itself as being religiously themed, that means uh, there is an increasing cohort who like to send their kids to these schools. So t- uh, in that sense, uh, Anwar... I think, as I said, uh, is muddling through, trying to appease uh, both camps and then uh, in the process, if he could inch forward his reform agenda a little bit, that would be good. But so far, we don't quite know what is his reform agenda, frankly speaking. On the show with me today is Dr. O. E. Sun, Principal Advisor at the Pacific Research Centre. We will continue this conversation after the break. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Bell Box. I'm Dashan Johan, and on the show with me today is Dr. O. E. San, Principal Advisor at the Pacific Research Centre, and we're talking about the most recent PKR Congress that took place over the weekend. So, Isan, Anwar also emphasised the focus on restoring the economy through good governance and convincing economic policies. How do you assess the current economic policies of the Anwar government? Well, the good governance part, uh, perhaps he could argue that uh, uh, you know a, a lot of these uh, very corrupt people have been uh, gradually uh, prosecuted and, right. and so on. Uh, that, that part, perhaps he could make that argument. As to the so-called good and sound policy part, frankly speaking, we are still yet to hear of uh, some of these uh, policies, you know, how do you, uh, for example, pry away some of these uh, potential foreign investors from, the, well, sorry, my Vietnamese friends, uh, Vietnam, for example, <laughs> because that uh, seems to be the favorite uh, uh, investment destination in Southeast Asia for a lot of foreign direct investors. How do you, uh, for example, have policies that will retain your domestic uh, investors uh, instead of uh, seeing them uh, investing heavily uh, in putting up buildings in the lights of uh, Sydney, Melbourne, and also Perth. So these are quite uh, uh, pertinent and important policies uh, or, or policy reforms that could hopefully both attract and retained uh, capitals in the country here, yeah. but right. we have yet to see them. Right. So on the one hand, you have the 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 retainment of capital or trying to bring in more capital investment. Um, on a related note, the other branch of when you look at economic policy is how did it ultimately impact the ordinary 
lives of Malaysians, right? And Anwar has consistently delivered good speeches, um, not just over the past one year, but over the past 25 years on making the nation a better place for the Marhain, for ordinary Malaysians. Um, in a social media post uh, reflecting on PKR's Congress, um, Nurul Iza um, said this, um, and I quote, empathy formed the seeds for the party's existence and continues to power the party's relevance in championing people's lives. Our challenge now is to translate empathy into policy. How do you read this? How is the, whether it's PKR or, or just the, the wider unity government right now under the leadership of Anwar, how are they performing on this front, translating their very pro-Marhain speeches into actual social policies, um, where perhaps welfare policies, perhaps, you know, we look at healthcare, education, housing, these kinds of things. How are they performing on that front? Well, frankly speaking, not much. Uh, we have been uh, waiting patiently, for example, as to how, um, for, for me, you could start with, uh, uh, for Malaysia in general, uh, making sure that uh, food or foodstuffs are affordable, right? That people could go to bed with a full stomach, uh, with uh, affordable and uh, pricing, and which fulfills their uh, nutritious uh, needs and so on. For uh, East Malaysia, where I'm from, the, the infrastructure really you need to uh, improve that. Uh, supply of electricity, of uh, clean water, as well as uh, workable um, roads and railways and, and so on. All this, um, I, I don't expect you to uh, deliver overnight, but at least give me some inkling of uh, what's uh, to come, right? Then, uh, you know, even if I don't see them now, at least I could go to bed uh, thinking that I will see them sometime in the future or my children would uh, do so so you need to at least um, paint some realistic pictures of, of, of what's to come because people i think nowadays um did a lot of people um a bit helpless as to what to do with their livelihood some would of course veer towards the more spiritual uh, sphere as a source of solace, mm. uh, others would uh, sort of just uh, try to make the ends meet. Yeah. One thing I picked up from this year's PKR Congress, and this one is just talking about tone, um, perhaps the, the political theater side of things, um, is the type of speeches that were delivered. I, I remember last year, um, you know, the PKR Congress was held just, you know, it, it coincided with. Um, Anwar becoming the Prime Minister for the first time. It was just shortly after the 15th general election. And there was this type of fighter type of tone from many of the speeches, right? Um, PAS was labelled as a fascist, uh, Bursatu as corrupt. They were coming all guns, guns blazing. Many of the top leaders of PKR coming out guns blazing um, against many of these other parties. But it seems like there's less emphasis on other parties this time around during their Congress and more about what PKR themselves can do, should do, challenges they face, the strengths they have, the weaknesses. 
um, some discussion about policies, especially from the likes of um, Rafizi Ramli, Nurul Iza. I I'm wondering if this tells you anything important about the kind of mindset shift that PKR is taking. Well, if you look at it from a more positive uh, perspective, uh, some degree of uh, introspection uh, mm -hmm. for the party, as you are suggesting, to look at uh, you know how the party could improve itself, what are the shortcomings and so on, uh, that is, of course, uh, very good because you are now a ruling party. Well, you are mm -hmm. the ruling party for second round, right? And you indeed need to do some form of soul-searching as to how you could run this country better. Because as we just discussed, you know, also the, the past one year has been uh, rather monotonous. So mm -hmm. that's from a more positive uh, perspective. From, uh, shall we say, not so positive uh, perspective, um, I sense something is uh, coming. I sense that... Uh, well, I sense that they sense that something is coming. Would it be Sheraton Move 2.0? I don't know, but it could well be. Um, you, you see over the past months, uh, a number of Basatu MPs, for example, they uh, switched their political allegiance into supporting the government of the day with uh, impunity despite the anti-hopping law because there is a, a loophole. If you recall, uh, before Sheraton Move 1.0, there were similarly such uh, defections to the government. But then in one fell swoop, uh, you know, many members from the government side uh, would defect to the other side, right? Right. And if this is the collective, shall we say, ground feel or feeling of uh, many members of uh, PKR, then of course it's natural that they don't criticize the other side because they themselves might become the colleagues of the other side very, very soon. So let's see which uh, part of the, my observation uh, it's more uh, pertinent. <laughs> right, absolutely. And I, and I'm, you, you brought up, uh, you know, Lanka Sheraton. Um, and, you know, Anwar did mention um, at the Congress um and I quote, some doubted the government's ability to survive. However, the loyalty of friends is clearly evident as they firmly reject all attempts by Perikata National to topple the unity government. Um, how do you read this then? Do you think, you know, we have reached a point um, in which Malaysians can finally stop being in a state of constant anxiety after the past, you know, two, three years of, you know, constant um, sort of a quote-unquote Game of Thrones, so to speak, or, or musical chairs, you know, who has the numbers? Are we going to get a new prime minister? What's the direction of the country? Um, you know, when is elections going to be held? It was this constant state of anxiety by many Malaysians. Uh, do you think we can finally stop being in this constant state of anxiety and, and say, okay, we just focus on the next four years. Um, and, and, and then after that, we can decide what's going to happen next. Are we happy? Are we not happy? Um, who should we vote in next? Should we retain the, the government? So on and so forth. Can, can Malaysians start being uh, you know, that a little bit comfortable in that sense? And, and not just Malaysians, right? The international um, um, you know, uh, landscape, um, the, the various um, stakeholders in the international scene um, observing Malaysia, can they 
sort of feel a sense of confidence now that things will be somewhat stable for the next four years? As much as I would love to think so, I sincerely do not think so. Hmm. I think that uh, as long as uh, we still practice this sort of uh, Westminster's uh, parliamentary democracy system, whereby a sitting prime minister of government would have to command the support of the majority uh, in the parliament. And as long as, uh, shall we say, a sense of uh, dignity, a sense of uh, shame, uh, do not quite uh, sort of uh, plant themselves deeply in the minds of uh, politicians, as long as we have these two preconditions, I think the ongoing uh, political turmoil, uh, this uh, sort of suspicion as to uh, how long the government is going to last and so on, I think that is very likely to uh, go on. Because, uh, well, uh, if you don't have, let's say, a fixed-term government like in some other countries, uh, they elect uh, their leaders, the executive leaders, be it president or somebody else, for a fixed term of a period of, let's say, four or five years. As long as we don't have that, as long as we still depend on the support of the parliamentary majority, I think it is very likely that uh, attempts will be made continuously to topple a sitting government and try to uh, you know substitute it with uh, the opposition, for example. Do you think strong reforms could be the medicine here? And and you know, obviously, we cannot completely avoid you know the opposition trying to you know muster support to topple the government. I mean, we see this even in the UK. Um, you know, with with the whole um, episode from Boris Johnson to Liz Truss to to Rishi Sunak. I mean, that was within that that same coalition, but. You know, similar patterns we do see here and there, uh, uh, different types of musical chairs, so to speak, right? Um, but do you think stronger reforms can at least sort of um, level the playing field, make the institution stronger? Um, you know, we expand democracy a little bit, we, we strengthen parliament, we reduce the strength of the executive, have fixed-term elections, and these kinds of things. Do you think if if we implement, if the government implements these types of reforms, um, at least in the minds of Malaysians and, and the international market, there will be a little bit more confidence to say that, okay, um, yes, um, polit- politicians will be politicians. They will try to fight for power and, and things like that. But at least our institutions are strong that, you know, if if at all it comes to a point where there's another Lankasharitan or, or whatever, what, whatever may be, um, that things will still be running smoothly. On the one hand, um, things have been running rather smoothly. I mean, so far, right. mm-hmm. even when you had Lanka Sheraton and then like several uh, changes of uh, governments afterwards, uh, they have all been extremely peaceful. Uh, so that part, I think we must congratulate uh, ourselves. Mm. Unlike some other countries where have tanks on the streets, right? right. Um, on the other hand, uh, of course, uh, we must uh, be cognizant that we are still very much a developing country. Uh, and in developing country, there's this thing called resource curse, mm. uh, whereby politicians are in politics, uh, you know, mostly to uh, sort of um, uh, to, to enlarge their, their own benefits uh, and so on. 
you you the, the examples that you gave, let's say in England, in Australia, and so on, whereby there were power struggles within the ruling party, and then one leader after another would topple, and so on. Well, that is uh, part and parcel of parliamentary democracy. Right. What we are seeing in Malaysia is the deliberate uh, looking for loopholes of uh, people frogging from one party to another despite uh, these so-called anti-hopping laws and uh, thereby bringing about uh, the downfall of governments. And and I strongly suspect uh, that, you know, these sort of froggings, there are those who are there for the pecuniary interests. There are also those who are there for, the, shall we say, ideological needs and, and so on. So, this is this is um, rather excessive. So I think if, even if we uh, instituted uh, those uh, structural reforms for our political frameworks and so on, this attempt to look for loopholes in order to uh, sort of uh, fulfill political, economic, and various other needs, I think, would still uh, go on. I think um, perhaps, uh, well, it's a feature of uh, many developing countries, but in this particular country, it is uh, really uh, going overboard. Um, And then, of course, on the other hand, there are those who would say, well, then uh, perhaps uh, we should switch to another form of uh, government, that of a theocracy, right? Then there's no need for um, truly meaningful uh, election, whereby everything is ruled by diktat uh, of uh, religious leaders and, and so on. Uh, well, that will be going to another extreme, right? Mm. So how to balance between these two demands, I think, I- indeed, uh, is the difficulty facing this and uh, perhaps future governments. So before we wrap this conversation up, I'd just like some closing thoughts because, um, you know, despite securing a strong majority in parliament, which the government currently has, um, in fact, based on the number of um, seats MPs supporting him, it's about two-third majority. um, The Merdeka Centre poll indicates a decline in public approval of uh, Anwar Ibrahim's leadership with many respondents citing economic factors. And then on the other hand, um, at the Congress, PKR Deputy Chief Rafizi talked about how in tough economic times, uh, opposition will use divisive tactics, such as the culture wars, for example, to instigate people to attack the government. So what should PKR do better moving forward? How do you um, see all these various challenges? How do you see their decline in popularity? And how do they weather the storm, hopefully, for the, and, and last for the next four years? As I said, uh, I think PKR would first uh, need to uh, sort of clean up their own uh, house and uh, make sure that uh, even though there are healthy debates uh, within the party, it's over policy and not uh, politics. Huh? N- n- number one. Uh, number two. Uh, of course, uh, we we see that this is a government uh, with coalition partners who may prefer, shall we say, the old ways of uh, doing things. Um, how to uh, sort of convince them to get on the train towards uh, more meaningful and effective uh, reforms? that would uh, again be a 
Well, that one would not be a house cleaning effort. It's a Gotong Royong effort within the government itself. Then, uh, only then you could uh, sort of convince uh, the rest of the nation as to your sincerity, your ability, and your willingness uh, to undertake uh, these reforms. But my greatest fear is... uh, while you are trying your best to do all these wonderful things, um, well, the other side uh, may uh, incite uh, the population such that, uh, well, they would say these sort of reforms would actually harm your vested interests, you know, would have moved your cheese and so on. And then the dear form of uh, more uh, conservative approach is better for the country and there's increasing receptiveness in the country for that sort of more conservative approach and that to me is the biggest worry for this country Isan, on that note thank you so much for joining me today thank you that was Dr. O. Isan, Principal Advisor at the Pacific Research Centre. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.